You're listening to the Tri-State Community Church Podcast, a ministry of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church located in the greater Pittsburgh metropolitan area. For more information, including service times, please visit us at facebook.com forward slash Tri-State Reformed Church. Well, I invite you to return to Matthew 26. Begin reading with verse 26 and read through verse 29. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And He took a cup and when He had given thanks, He he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Heavenly Father, we thank You for these words, these familiar words. Words that perhaps we've heard said more times than we've read them. We hear these words. Well, Father, teach us this morning, the significance of these words, O oh Father. Teach us, O oh Father, that we may bask in the beauty of them and the depths of them and the wonder and mystery of them. O oh Father, we do pray that you would be pleased to teach us your people. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. If I were to retire from pulpit ministry, I would say that I would probably miss preaching immediately. Uh, in fact, when, I, when we go on vacation, I'll confess that usually the first, if we have two weeks in a row off, usually the first week, I'm okay. But by the second week, I just love to teach so much and I love to preach so much that I actually start missing it on the second week. Um, I, I, I miss it. I love the process. I love the study. I love watching folks respond and being blessed and laboring for God's glory. And most of the time, the process goes relatively smooth for me. Most of the time, it's, you know, it's, pretty, it's pretty smooth. I see a couple faces. I think you know where I'm going with this. <laughs> most of the time, it goes quite smoothly. But I will confess, this particular week, I had a difficult time. Uh, with this process. And I, I found my mind was running all over the place. I found myself tempted to try and share everything I knew about the Lord's Supper in one message, which is never a good idea, by the way. Um, usually about three quarters of the way through a sermon like that, you start to see the faces of people where you start to feel like, what's he doing to me this morning? He's dumping a boatload of truckload of stuff on me. And it, you're feeling that way because it's exactly what he's doing to you. Um, I, I uh, uh, usually things run really, really smooth. I found myself toggling back and forth between texts, uh, my mind running and racing. And as of Friday evening at a quarter to six, I still hadn't settled even on a text yet. And I, I, I you know, my sermons are normally completed by then, and I usually work on passages ahead of time. I look ahead of time, especially for passages that I'm not quite as familiar with, so that I can began to at least reading them and getting my mind thinking about them. And here I am Friday, and I don't even have a text. And 
I really believe that, the, that this week the Lord brought me to this place so that I would have no other recourse but to simply trust in Him, but to simply look to Him. And it reminded me of things that I've heard about the great English preacher Charles Spurgeon. You know, I've heard stories where he would, he would pray into wee hours of the night on Saturday night, into early hours on Sunday morning, praying for a text to preach on Sunday did you? He's praying for a text. He's not praying for a message yet because he doesn't have his text yet. He's, he's, he's not even praying for an outline yet. And I know from reading his works in other places that he would spend time praying for an outline after he'd arrived at his text. He's praying for an outline. Well, he's up wee hours of the night not writing his message, but praying for a passage that he would begin writing his message on. Spurgeon didn't systematically preach through the through the books, um, and some have critiqued his method, you know, saying that if he would have systematically preached through the books, then he wouldn't have had to do that. He wouldn't have had to spend all night uh, praying for a text. Now, as you know, I'm very fond of preaching through the text. I'm very fond of, of starting most of the time at the beginning of a book and preaching clear through to the completion of a book. It's okay to take breaks. On some occasions, it might be okay, maybe to not even necessarily start at the beginning, but I'm very fond of that, and I don't want you to think that with this introduction, I'm, I have intentions of changing that. I don't. I, I really believe in it because as we do that, there's a wonderful balance that the Holy Spirit has impregnated in His Word that as we do that, I'm always amazed by how balanced the message ends up being, just as we go and start beginning one book and work our way through the other. But I'm saying all this that I don't find myself praying like this. You know, when you don't even know what your text is next, there's a certain dependence that you put on the Lord that Spurgeon's ministry was marked with. That certain dependence that he was willing, if he didn't feel resolved about a certain text, he would just keep praying even though it's wee hours and it's Sunday, mo Sunday morning and he still doesn't have a text. That humble dependence upon God uh, that Spurgeon was noted for. There's something to say about that. I joked with Tammy using a phrase, also a phrase from one of Spurgeon's books because I was thinking of him so much through this. I joked with her Friday evening when I still didn't even have a text and I said, if nothing changes, I'll have to stand here silent on the Sabbath. And to make matters worse, I'm preaching at the first EP tonight, so I'd have to do it twice. <laughs> I was just joking with Tammy, and the reason I was just joking with Tammy is I've been here before. Um, it, I'm fortunate, I, I, listen, it doesn't happen that often, but I have had this happen. I've been here before. One thing that I know, I could joke about this because I know that God is I never had any worries about it. And that's why I'm introducing this sermon this way. He is faithful. He's so faithful. Our Lord is so faithful. Do you ever stop to think about how faithful our Lord is? Do you ever stop to bask in His abundant faithfulness? We're often just so busy that we don't get time to do that. I knew the Father wasn't going to leave me silent because out of His faithfulness, He feeds His children. It's feeding time right now. 
You know, we, if we had a, a dinner bell here, I think it would be appropriate to ring it. Dinner is ready. The Father, He has a meal for us because He is faithful. In our text this morning, we see that the Father feeds us with the choicest of bread. We see that Jesus took the bread. If you look at Matthew 26, verse 26 through 28, that He took the bread and after blessing it, He broke it and He gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is My body. And He took a cup and when He had given thanks, He gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is My blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now these are familiar words to most of us. You hear me, uh, you know, a version of these words are deeply committed to my memory, and you hear me repeat these words quite often, don't you? What is the significance of these words? And for that matter, how many sermons have you heard on the Lord's Supper? How many books do you have on your shelf on the Lord's Supper? I think it's good for us to stop and consider these things. What is, it, what is the significance of these words? Well, when we ask these questions of Scripture, we do well to rehearse in our minds this truth. This truth right here. Namely, that Scripture is Scripture's best interpreter. Scripture is Scripture's best interpreter. Now, what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is this. When we come to a passage and we find ourselves in need of explanation, then we search the Scriptures for where that same subject is taught elsewhere, and we seek the explanation we get elsewhere and we bring it to the passage in question. Now, in the case of our present query, we run to the inspired writings of the Apostle Paul. If you will turn with me to 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 16. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16. A very important passage. Generally speaking, when the Lord's Supper is officiated, it is from the 1 Corinthians that uh, the... Uh, that the uh, officiating pastor will go to, at least in his mind, these First uh, Corinthians 10 and 11 are what is, uh, is what is in my mind as I'm officiating the Lord's table. But there in First Corinthians 10, verse 16, the, Paul, the Apostle Paul writes under the inspiration of Holy Scripture that the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Now, very clearly we can see here that Paul is beginning with a metaphor, isn't he? Namely, the cup of blessing that we bless. Now, what is Paul making reference to? He's making reference to the cup of the Lord's Supper. But I want to point your attention to another word here. It's a word that we don't really understand, and it's the word blessing. In the original, in the Greek, Paul is using the word um, eulogios. Eulogios. Now, I bring that to your attention because you all know that word. You know the word eulogy. 
And eulogios, we get eulogy from eulogios. Eulogios means fine speech or a polished message or fair speaking, but it also means blessing. It means blessing. Now, the word blessing is practically foreign to us today. Uh, when, I, when I say we, I'm speaking of the church at large. I am convinced, I, I, and I'm more convinced every day, that this is a true statement. We don't understand blessing in its biblical sense. We don't get it, and we don't understand it because for the most part, the church doesn't really believe in God's judgment anymore. We don't believe in the curse anymore. We don't believe that as unbelievers, we're under God's wrath and curse. I say that at large as the church. We just simply don't believe it. We, we believe that God reserves His curse only for the really bad people, but for most of us, we're okay, even deserving of nice things. That's what people, uh, you know, the church should never advocate. The church shouldn't be advocating that. It's contrary to the gospel. It's contrary to Scripture everywhere. And these presuppositions keep us from understanding words like blessing. Blessing, you know. I mean, the kids might say blessing. That's, that's the word that you say after someone sneezes, right? That's how we understand blessing. Is the, um, is the scriptures, is that what they mean? No. To understand blessing in the biblical sense, we need to understand judgment and to understand that we deserve that judgment. We need to understand that we deserve that judgment. And we need to understand it to such a degree that when we discover that Christ has come to take that away, that we begin to see how blessed we are. You see. To understand blessing in the biblical sense, we need to understand this judgment because the one who is blessed is the one who has been spared the wrath of God and brought into a state of grace. And I can say that if you're in Christ this morning, you're so very blessed. It's so easy for us to forget that, isn't it? And to begin complaining because this isn't right in our lives or that isn't right in our lives or we wish this wasn't right. How quickly we lose focus of what a blessing we already have. Now, Paul speaks of the cup of blessing. What is this cup of blessing? Paul answers that it is a participation in the blood of Christ. Do you see that from 1 Corinthians 10, 16? Paul speaks of the cup of blessing. What is the cup of blessing? Paul answers, the cup of blessing is a participation in the blood of Christ. Notice that Paul does the same thing with the bread, the bread that we break. He's there referring to the communion bread. What is this bread that we break? Paul answers, it's a participation in the body of Christ. Now, some of you might be thinking right now, um, Hey, uh, uh, Rick, um, you said that when like, we're in a passage and we don't understand it, we're supposed to go to another passage that speaks the same thing, and that passage is supposed to help us understand the former passage. Um, this passage is not really helping me understand the former passage. In fact, it sounds like I need to run to another passage to help me understand this passage, and that's correct. Um, if you like that sort of thing, it's a lot of fun. If you don't like that sort of thing, it might even be a bit frustrating for you. But let's remember that when Paul wrote 1 Corinthians. He was writing to a previous generation. Previous generation who may have understood things that we don't understand. Um, we, need, 
we need a passage to explain this passage. And all joking aside, if we understood more about sacrifices, we would get this. If I asked you a question, I mean, if I asked all of you what your favorite book of the Bible was, how many would answer Leviticus? Raise your hand if Leviticus is your favorite book. I don't see any hands. If I asked you if you've read Leviticus in the last week, um, you don't need to raise your hands, but I can tell from your faces. <laughs> we can look around at each other. Um, if we think, okay, if we read Leviticus over the past month, or if we read Leviticus over the past six months, or the year's almost spent, have we read Leviticus this year? Have we read Leviticus at all? It's hard for us to read Leviticus. Why? Some are like, I don't even know what's in Leviticus. What are you talking about? Well, I'll tell you the first chapter, the first seven chapters of Leviticus pertain to sacrifices. Laws on sacrifices. And sacrifices are foreign to us. We don't, we don't get them. For Leviticus, the purpose of the sacrifice is cleansing and consecration. Cleansing and making holy um, Sin pollutes. Sin is a, a vile pollution. It, its presence makes us unfit for company that is holy, if you will. Um, like, you know, if we were working in a barn this morning and cleaning a barn, most of us, I think, would want to get cleaned up before we come here, wouldn't we? Why? Because what happened in the barn? Um, you know, farmers have work that they have to do in the barn. Um, regardless of what day it is, there are certain chores that has to be taken care of. Um, we recognize that we, we can get soiled in the barn and we have to be cleansed. Leviticus speaks to this in, um, in a certain way. It, Leviticus uses the words holy, clean, and unclean over and over and over and over again. And clean means purity. Unclean means pollution or profane. Holy means set apart. Other, heavy, if you will. Holiness is an attribute of God. God is holy. He is set apart. Uh, he is unique. Um, he is pure. Leviticus teaches us that when holiness comes into contact with the unclean, death results. If you turn to Leviticus chapter 7, it's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Genesis, first book of the Bible, Exodus, Leviticus chapter 7. Leviticus chapter 7 verse 19 reads that flesh that touches any unclean thing shall not be eaten. It shall be burned up with fire. Leviticus also teaches that by sacrifice, the unclean can be cleansed. Now, if we are more familiar with the sacrifices of Leviticus, we would be familiar with the sacrifice known as the peace offering, which is presented to us in Leviticus 3 and Leviticus 7. And the peace offering was unique in the respect that the worshiper could share in eating it. Now, let me show you a few interesting facts about the peace offering from Leviticus 7, which you've just turned to. 
the body of the sacrificed animal was offered to the believer. If you look at verse 15, and the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offerings for thanksgiving shall be eaten on the day of his offering. He shall not leave any of it until the morning. So you see the offerer is participating in the sacrifice in the respect that the flesh of the sacrifice is being returned to them and they're, they're eating it. The worshiper offering the sacrifice must be clean. Look at verse 20. But the person who eats of the flesh of the sacrifice of the Lord's peace offerings while an uncleanness is on him, that person shall be cut off from his people. That's an important thing to hold on to. Um, there's judgment for participating in the sacrifice if the worshiper is unclean. Look at verse 21. If anyone touches an unclean thing, whether human uncleanness or an unclean beast or any unclean detestable creature, and then eats some flesh from the sacrifice of the Lord's peace offerings, that person shall be cut off from his people. See these principles? Now, notice I've been using the word participating. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Participating. The worshiper participated in the sacrifice in the respect that he partook of the flesh of the sacrifice. So back to Paul. Back to 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16. Paul speaks of the cup of blessing. What is the cup of blessing? Paul answers, it's a participation in the blood of Christ. Notice Paul does the same thing with the bread. The bread that we break. Referring to communion bread. What is that bread that we break? Answer. It's a participation in the body of Christ. Now let's go back to Matthew 26. In our text, our precious Lord Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Well, what is the significance of this? Well, here in our text, a peace offering is in view. Peace offering. And it's not the blood of a lamb or a goat that's being offered, Jesus takes the bread and He breaks it. And what does He say? This is my body. This is my body. Jesus takes the cup and He gives it to them and He says, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. What's Jesus doing? He's offering Himself. He is the peace offering. And the disciples are participating, not in the actual offering of the peace offering, but are in the partaking of the flesh of the peace offering that has been offered. Does that make sense? Jesus has come to bless. 
How is he going to bless? By taking away the curse and cleansing us of our pollution. How does he take away the curse and cleanse us of our pollution? By taking it in our place, doesn't he? So the night that Jesus was betrayed, he offered himself as the peace offering. And it is real food that Jesus is offering us. Our Father is faithful. He feeds his children. This is no bare memorial. This is real food. It's food for the soul. How does it feed? Well, some of you are experiencing it right now, aren't you? You're experiencing that feeding. In a future message, I want to say more about that. In fact, I'd like to spend a whole sermon on that. It's going to be a future message. Next week, I want to get on, I really want to get on some passages that are relevant for the time of the year that we come to. But let me say this. How does it feed? Let's speak to that just for a few moments. The sacraments are signs and seals. We've been looking at that, right? Signs and seals as signs. They point away from themselves. We might think of the sign of God's covenant with Noah, the rainbow. The rainbow is a covenant sign, isn't it? What does the rainbow do? The rainbow reminds God of His promise to what? To never flood the entire earth with a flood. Now, the rainbow by itself, does it, does it do anything? Does the rainbow protect the earth from being flooded? No. Not by itself. But it reminds God of His promise. Does God need any reminding of His promise? No. But it's given to us because we are frail and weak, aren't we? And we need these reminders. But God has said, listen, when I see the rainbow, I will be reminded of my promise never to flood the entire earth again. So is the rainbow protecting us? Well, we would say a bare rainbow by itself. No. But we could also speak in the sense that, well, there's another sense that we could speak. There's another figure of speech that we could use where we could say the rainbow is protecting us. Why does the rainbow protect us? Because it's reminding God of His promise. We could speak loosely about the rainbow that way, couldn't we? It'd be accurate. We'd want to clarify. But it'd be accurate. What am I pointing to here? In theology... In theology, we speak of this as the unity uh, of the sign and that which is signified. The unity between the sign and that which is signified. In Scripture, sometimes the sign is so united to that which is signified that we could say the rainbow is protecting us. As long as we understand that it is God's promise and it's God who is actually protecting us. A rainbow cannot protect us unless it's accompanied with my God. But the rainbow is a sign that God has promised that He will never flood the entire earth again as He once did. But the sign and the thing signified in Scripture is often so closely united that one could be spoken for the other. Does that make sense? And I could say that. See that rainbow up there? That's protecting us. As long as we understand it, rainbow is just reminding God. Now, 
In the same way, the bread of the communion table it points away from itself. It points away from itself to the body of Christ, which has been broken for us for the forgiveness of sins. The cup points away from itself, points away from itself to the blood of Christ, which cleanses us. The sacrifice makes us clean. That's the message of Leviticus, is that we're all polluted and we need to be made clean. We've been in the barn of sin. We've got it all over us, all through us, all in us, everywhere. We have to be clean. If, if we're not clean, we cannot have fellowship with God. We're not proper company for God. He cannot have fellowship with that which is unclean because he is perfectly holy. And the message of Leviticus, Leviticus is how God can take the unclean and make the unclean clean. What is Jesus doing? What's the significance of what he is doing? He's going to make us clean at a tremendous personal cost. He's going to make us clean. Because the author to the letter of Hebrews tells us that the blood of animals can't carry that freight. They could never make us clean. They were only intended to teach us how we would ultimately be made clean in Christ Jesus. The wages of sin is death. The sinner must die. We, we, could, we could, listen, if we, if we die in our sins, we are never going to be able to pay our sin debt. We will never be able to do it. Not for all eternity. And God knowing that comes in the person of Jesus Christ. So Jesus, Jesus can. Jesus can. Why? Because he's perfect. He has no sin. Only Christ can cleanse us because only Christ is pure. What is he doing? He's cleansing us. How does this feed us? And we might not be able to put it into words, but we're experiencing it, aren't we? If you're a believer this morning, you're experiencing it. If you're not, you're going, what's this all about? And if you're, if you're sitting there going, what's this all about? Don't listen. Call on the Lord. Ask him to teach you. Faith comes from this. It comes from this exercise. I think, what is this all about? And as you continue to ask the Lord, what is this all about? He's not. He, listen, if you really, you really want to know what this is all about, do you think he's going to say, man, I, I, I told the guy next to you, but I'm not going to tell you. He'll tell you. He'll teach you. He'll show you. He'll feed you. Because there's a certain hunger in asking that question, isn't there? Lord, what's this about? It's the same kind of hunger when we come in and we say, well, we know a little bit about this, but we want to know more. I want to know more what this is about. I want to know more about this. I, I want to grow in this. Well, there's a certain hunger in that too, isn't there? Last week I said, I don't really understand the Lord's Supper. I can talk about the Lord's Supper for a long time. That was part of my problem here this week. What do I do? I don't, I don't, we can talk about the Lord's Supper. I know all kinds of things about the Lord's Supper, but this part of the Lord's Supper is a mystery to me. It really is truly a mystery to me. It's a mystery to me how the Lord creates a soul. I realize the birds and the bee thing I got, okay? But how does God create a soul? How did God impregnate the womb of Mary by way of the Holy Spirit so that she would be pregnant with Jesus? 
How does God come to a polluted, sinful heart that's bent on doing its own will and change that heart so that now that heart is now for God? I can only speak for so long on that. That to me is a great mystery. How does the Lord, through these symbols that have been set apart, how does He feed us? How does He feed us? Well, we can say a few things about that. Let's remember the words of Paul. Paul says the cup of blessing that we bless, he says it is a participation in the blood of Christ. The bread that we break is a participation in the body of Christ. So when we come to this table, what are we doing? We are doing nothing less than participating in the very body of Christ. We're doing nothing less than participating in the very blood of Christ. Now, have these elements been transformed in any way into the body and blood of Jesus? No. No. But when a believer comes to the table in faith, he or she is participating in the body and the blood of Christ. How does that work? That's a mystery, isn't it? It's a mystery, isn't it? The answer is through our union with Christ. How are we united to Christ? By faith and the work of the Holy Spirit. By faith and the work of the Holy Spirit. Uniting us to Christ. How does this feed us? The Lord has given us this so that we could take the bread, we could hold it in our hand, and we can ask the question, Jesus, did you die for me? And taking that bread and putting it in our mouth and eating that bread is Jesus' way of saying, yes, take the bread. This is my body. I have given it for who? I have given it for you. I've given it for you. And we see that we're feeding not in a carnal way, not in a way where we'll, when we leave here, I presume most of us are going to go to lunch. And we're going to, we're going to eat something, correct? Bread, food. We're going to drink something, right? We have some nurses in the group here this morning. They could tell us how eating this food feeds our bodies, right, Alex? How does this food? You could probably explain a lot about how eating bread and drinking uh, water, how it sustains our bodies. What a perfect metaphor for the sustenance of our soul. Here, by way of the Holy Spirit, in partaking of a peace offering, a peace offering that symbolizes the, the peace offering of all peace offerings, the peace offering with a capital P, the peace offering of Christ Jesus Himself, of His very own body, by work of the Holy Spirit, we are united to Christ Jesus in that work, and we truly feed our souls. Amen. I intend to preach a whole sermon on 
that very subject. We are only touching on it now, but let me conclude by saying, listen, our Father feeds us. He feeds His children. And just as our bodies require food and drink, so our souls require nourishment. And at the table, we feed on the nourishment provided by Christ. You know, I shared with the children Wednesday night that one of the names of Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And we get that from our Scripture reading this morning. You see, our Scripture reading this morning doesn't just point to Christmas time. And it points to this as well, doesn't it? To the table. And the Lord's Supper confirms our communion with Christ as our peace offering. As we partake of it, it seals the promise that Jesus died for us. How do we know Jesus? We know Jesus died. We know Jesus died to save. How do I know Jesus died for me? Take and eat. Take and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. This is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, and we praise you for this mystery, this great mystery, O oh Lord. O oh Father, teach us more and more each day, we pray, Father. O oh Lord, we thank you and praise you that you've given us such a wonderful sign, such a wonderful sacrament, such a wonderful ordinance, whatever we might call it. O oh Father, now as we come to the table, Oh, Father, we thank You and we praise You, Father, that each time we come, You would teach and feed us and make us and strengthen us to be more and more like, your Lord, more and more like our Lord and Savior, Jesus. We pray these things in His precious name. Amen and amen.